Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello, welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 299. 299? That's amazing. Recorded February 14th, 2019. So when we started it way back when, did you think we would get 299 episodes in? No, I never thought. No, I never, never. And then the idea that we would be recording on Valentine's Day 2019? I wasn't even thinking about 2019 yet. And did you know that we would be covering uh, a, a whole new Star Trek that didn't even exist back then? Back when we started. No. No. Crazy, right? Things guess, change over the, what, five years or whatever, how right. long we've been doing this. Yeah, I figured if they ever brought Star Trek back to the TV, you know, they just continue on further in the future. So the the grandfather of next gen or the next next gen or something. Right. Yep. I definitely didn't expect them going back. Um, I nope. mean, they they already done that, right? With Enterprise? With, this, with Enterprise, yeah. Right, so. Mm. So if you think about it, this is Enterprise, the next generation. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. well, there you go. I mean, if you call it, yeah. It's kind of different, though. Oh, yeah. Definitely Discovery. a different tone. Yeah. So uh, today we're going to do just two books. Uh, one is Succession, Star Trek Discovery, Succession number four, and then Star Trek Discovery Annual number one. Right. So, yeah. So four, Succession number four is wrapping up the story, which is pretty cool. I, I, I kind of like where it went. Um, what you didn't expect. And, uh, yeah, the annual is pretty good, too, because you find out the backstory of Stamets. Right. Yeah. Lieutenant, nice professor, little, little doctor, one. whatever. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think I like the succession better. But, uh, but the annual was good, too. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm, I feel the same way. I, I like the, uh, seeing the wrap-up of an exciting uh, thrill-packed story. The the Stamets story really wasn't that thrill-packed, but it did give you a lot of background into how they got to the point of developing the spore drive, so that's kind of cool. Exactly. Yep. All right, well, should we just jump into it, Ken? Let's do it, man. All right, so uh, issue number four of Succession came out July of 2018, Written by Kristen Baer and Mike Johnson. Art by Angel Hernandez. Colors by Mark Roberts. Letters by Anne World Design. Production design by Neil Yutaki. Edits by Joe Hughes. Editorial assist by Chase Moratz. And publisher is Greg Goldstein. So since this is IDW, lots of covers. So the main cover is by Angel Hernandez. And it shows... Kind of a shattered um, symbol, I guess, of the Terran Empire uh, with the Shinzo kind of flying towards the lower half of the screen or cover. And then within the cracks, we see uh, Laurel. Um, I don't know who the middle person is. It might be Cornwell, but it also might be Alexander. I'm not sure. It's Alexander. Okay. 
All right. Well, because it's so close up on the face, I couldn't tell if it's female or male because it's so 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 right in your face. All right. So that's Alexander. And then the last one is uh, Michael Burnham. The uh, cover B is just a photo cover of Lorca. Uh, The cover R.I.A. is by Nick Roach. And it has the uh, Discovery kind of flying halfway through the page at a uh, 45 degree angle. And then on the upper half we see Burnham dressed in her... uh, Mirror Universe attire, and then on the lower half we see Burnham in her Starfleet attire. And then the final cover, which is kind of a weird one, um, it's just the old school, looks like it just came out of the 60s, UISS Constellation NCC 1017. So it doesn't even look like the Enterprise from Discovery, it just looks like the old show. And that one is by Deacon Shalvey and Jordy Bellaran, or Bellarare, excuse me. All right, so uh, as all the other issues of this uh, series, it all takes place within the Mirror Universe, uh, shortly after the events of Season 1 of Star Trek Discovery. So uh, this starts off right where the last one ended, which is uh, Emperor Alexander has just killed Amanda Grayson. While Laurel, Cole, and Burnham watch on their knees, tied up. Uh, Admiral Cornwell is uh, standing behind them with some security guards. And uh, they all, and, and she and the security guards have their phasers drawn and pointing at the kneeling captives. Suddenly, the Klingons are able to break free and they hold a knife up to Alexander's throat. Surprised, Alexander realizes that Cornwell and her people are also part of this mutiny. Cornwell informs the Emperor that Burnham will not be taking over his throne, and that they are all going to create a ruling council. Suddenly, Burnham kills Cornwell and Alexander, claiming that she will indeed be taking the throne after all. As Burnham takes her seat at the throne... She informs the Klingons that she will not be holding up her part of the agreement, and that was to free Quonos from the Terran Empire. She does say that uh, she will continue to subjugate all non-humans within the Terran Empire. She just won't be killing them all like Alexander had planned. Aboard the Shinzo, Burnham contacts Captain Aram and informs her of the new management changes. She also tells the android human, cyborg, whatever she is, that the Shinzu will soon be returning the Quonos along with Laurel and Cole. Later, at the coronation of Michael Burnham, all the humans that are around the castle and stuff are praising their new emperor. When suddenly there's a strange flash in the sky and a glowing gas rolls in. Suddenly all the humans start bleeding from their eyes, nose, and mouths and fall to their knees, struggling to breathe. Uh, the Klingons, Cole and, and Laurel that were there, uh, are just watching this completely unaffected. Aram then beams down and takes the crown from Burnham's bloody head. She then takes upon the role of emperor for herself. Uh, she was able to adjust the genetic bomb of Alexander's so that it targeted humans, and that uh, she lowered the yield of the weapon so that it only killed the humans that were in attendance 
not the whole planet. Aram then orders Lorel and Cole back to Quonos, where they will serve as governors. Elsewhere, the captain of the ISS Enterprise is recording his captain's logs. He speculates that uh, that uh, it's kind of odd that there's been four emperors in just the last few weeks. He then quotes his first officer saying that this is all very fascinating. The end. Well, I gotta say, um, Captain uh, Arium, if I'm pronouncing that right, she is a bad ASS. She's very cold-hearted. Very cold, very calculating, and she gets the job done. So she was apparently working for Michael, and as well she was working for the Resistance, and in the end she was working for herself. How delicious. Yeah, she was playing every single side. Hmm. That's great. I mean, it, that's what's really cool about, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, one thing I love about this is... Um, who ends up being the emperor? You could have never guessed this is who ends up being the emperor. Ever right. at the beginning of this thing. So I wonder if she's supposed to be emperor um, during the the Kirk episode, or if she gets dethroned before then. Good question. I don't know. Um, I mean, it, what, what, ten years before, right? So, right. But, but well, okay, hold on. But uh, let's talk about what happened at the very end. So, so that was Spock and Pike. I'm assuming it's Spock and Pike, but he does say first officer, and I don't think uh, Spock ah, ever served as first officer. He wasn't first Pike. officer yet. Yeah, I had a I had a problem with that line. Ah, very good. It, he should have said science officer, not first officer. Right. Yes, he should have. Hmm. So maybe in this universe, the mirror universe, this uh, Kirk took control earlier. I don't know. Yeah, well, he would have been young, and he was—I mean, he was already the youngest captain ever. Right. Well, was he even? Was he officially graduated yet? Even? Or, I mean, was was he off on the Farragut or something as an engineering officer? I mean, what? You know, you go straight from Starfleet Academy to captain of the Enterprise. We've already seen it. <laughs> Okay. If the Kelvin cap, if the Kelvin Kirk can do it, then why can't Mirror Kirk? Uh, okay. Yes. So th- th- that was confusing. I mean, I do wonder what they meant. Right. To say. I mean, it also sounds like something that uh, number one would say. Um, I, I don't. Did, has, has she shown up in Discovery yet? Um, oh, in Discovery, the TV show. Yes. Yeah. Uh, just did a few. They, up, just a few episodes ago. Did they give her a name? Or they still call her number one? Um, I have not seen that entire episode yet, mm, so I can't okay. tell you. So yeah, I'm a little, I'm, I'm a little I'm behind. A couple episodes behind too, yeah, I'm so. a couple episodes behind. But I did see enough of the episode to see she's sitting there uh, talking to Pike as they're right. uh, sitting in the cafeteria or whatever. In the... okay. Yeah, I knew, I knew she was supposed to be in it this season. I just didn't know if they were going to give her a name. And so that's Mystique who's playing... Um, yeah, Re- Re- Rebecca, Rebecca Stamos or wh- whatever her Stamos, name, or, yeah, whatever her name is. is. Yeah, yeah, Mystique. Mystique, exactly. Yeah. Uh, she, she, she's a handsome lady, but she doesn't quite look like Mystique. Which I know, I know, it doesn't have the blue makeup and everything. But I'm just <laughs> saying, she doesn't quite look like 
like Rebecca Romo or whatever her name is. Well, I mean, Mystique was also what twenty five years ago. It was a while ago. I agree, but <laughs> but as she's uh, aged, she I means some women look a lot like they were when they were younger, when they mm-hmm. you know get in their forties or whatever. Um, her face is altered a little bit. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, yes, I'm looking forward to seeing more of that. Right. In in the small snippet of the uh, of the scene they were in, uh, they her name was not mentioned. But if it was mentioned, I would think it would be more likely it would be mentioned earlier when they first saw each other. He did refer to her as number one, though. Okay, good. Yeah, I saw that much. Yeah. So, I mean, fascinating is something that she would say, because she was kind of the spot character in, in that first pilot. Oh, so she said fascinating? It could be. It doesn't say to... Spock. It just says no, his first officer. But that is the uh, that's the tagline. But uh, I guess I have to go back and watch the cage. Well, I don't know if she ever actually says it in the cage, but she was always kind of, you know, because yes. even in Methodical. some of the expanded universe that DC Fontania did, she uh-huh. kind of said that she was programmed or somehow not quite human or something like that. Well, she was alien. Right, She's not but human. she was also very, like, her mind was like a computer and not like a, a human's, where she was kind of, like I said, almost Spock-like, what he yeah. ultimately became. Yeah. Because if you remember in that pilot, Spock's all smiling and laughing and stuff, so. <laughs> well, he, <laughs> wasn't, he wasn't making a habit of it. They hadn't quite figured out who's going to be doing what. Exactly. Well, I, I, I read a, I thought was a very excellent um set of novels and one of them included uh was very featured uh, number one was very featured when she was a younger officer uh with captain april so um so before pike came into the picture she was an officer on april's enterprise and yeah she was she was very focused very driven um a cool a cool customer not overly emotional but there is a scene because because uh, uh, Spock was in there, where she makes some comment about um, h- how he was. Uh, actually, this was probably maybe this was later. Anyway, some comment about how he used to shout a lot <laughs> when he shout would when he, shout when he was on the bridge, which is funny oh. because <laughs> he did. I mean, remember that the yeah. that scene where on the bridge and he's like yelling out uh, status report or sensor readings or right. something, and he's, like, and, shouting. And using the hand gestures to, right. to move everything, which yeah. is actually pretty smart if you think about it. Yeah. Anyway. Minority report style. Yeah. No, that's pretty funny. You're right. They, they, but everybody shouted. <laughs> yeah, but it's Spock. It's Spock. Spock doesn't... Yeah, the Spock we, became, we came to know was very uh, low-key. Right. Yeah. Anyway. So I was surprised here in this comic book uh, that Burnham just flat out killed not only Alexander, but also uh, literally stabbing Cornwell in the back. Well, yeah, and then she dies. I right. mean, there was, there was probably a lot of people that you know may not be crazy about Discovery that was just loving Burnham being killed off. <laughs> <laughs> you're in the middle of everything and now you're dead. Yeah. I, I don't feel that way. I, I like Burnham, but. I do read a lot of things where people are just have a lot of hatred going. It should be more of an ensemble piece. Yes. 
Oh, really? I, it's I all, Michael's got to do everything. Anyway. Yeah, I, I do wish they would do more episodes of like, you know. Well, they kind of did. They did have they had one Sheru episode last last season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but uh, but aside from that, yeah, she's doing everything. Even yeah. spacewalks without uh, without any protection. Right. Right. Yeah. Anyways, uh, back to the issue. Um, I, mean, I liked it. It was very abrupt, though. Just suddenly the, the gas comes in and kills everybody and story's over. Mm-hmm. So, Well, the start of a new, uh, yet another new emperor. Right. They went through a lot in a short time as, uh, as Pike or whoever that was stated. Right. So I'm... I really want to. I, I really wish they would go back and do like how did Emperor Sato eventually become? Uh, you know what happened to her? Mm-hmm. How did he get to <laughs> Giorgio? How did she become emperor? And then how did you know what happened to Aram before you know she gets dethroned or whatever before Spock? Because uh, we know that Spock eventually becomes emperor, right? I mean, canon, so, we know that that has to happen at some point. So basically, you want to see the whole Mirror Universe history played out. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> That'd be good. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, please. Please do that. Just nice. do, yeah, do a novel or something or, or a set of short stories explaining how <sighs> and what happened to each uh, each emperor. Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, or, or maybe a four or five issue comic book uh, arc. Ooh, yeah, that, that'd be good. Each issue being a different emperor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what happened to the Defiant when Sato, when she took over, when she killed the Emperor and became Emperor mm-hmm. at the end of that Enterprise episode, she had the Defiant, the most powerful ship in the universe. Right. Uh, but Giorgio doesn't have it. No. No. But look at what she's got. I mean, that's a pretty impressive ship she's flying around. Well, yeah. She, is it really a ship, or was it kind of a space station type thing? Well, it was a ship that acted as basic the Imperial Palace. Okay. I mean, that thing was pretty kick butt. Yeah, and, and, I could. I, I couldn't remember if it was uh, if it was stationary or if it was a ship. Oh no, it's ship. a ship. Oh so yeah. It, it went to warp and everything. Yeah, it's a big long ship, mm. and it had that whatever that glowy thing in the middle that got in its energy from the uh, mycelial network or something. Right, yeah, right. That was uh, that was a pretty big, pretty cool big ship. I'd rather have that than uh, than the Defiant or whatever. Yeah, and it looked more advanced than the uh, the regular series. So I was kind of hoping that they would have said something about, you know, like Burnham would have said something about um, technology seems more advanced here than it does at home, mm-hmm. and kind of a nod to that they had they had the discovery, you know, a, a whole generation earlier. Mm-hmm. Where, they, where they had future tech, right? But they didn't because everybody has to just pretend Enterprise never existed. Uh, unfortunate, unfortunate. Even in the big crossover that they're doing right now with the the Q crossover, mm-hmm. Q crosses over with all Star Trek except Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of ships. Mm-hmm. Can I just mention that um, I'm a little confused, even though the artistry were, is top-notch on all these books uh, from the series. Um, I think it's same uh, same uh, artist on all of them, mm-hmm. uh, Angel, Angel Hernandez. Although I got to say, 
at parts, I think the way the uh, Constitution class ships are drawn is a little um, inconsistent. So the the shot at the beginning where it just kind of shows three of them yes. firing, or okay. yes, three of them fl- firing orange ellipses. Uh-huh. I'm not quite sure what that's supposed to be. What is that supposed to be? They're not phasers. Photon torpedoes. I oh, is know. that what that's supposed to be? I, I don't know. Okay, okay. So anyway, so they got the orange ellipses, which is kind of odd. I'm not quite sure what that is. Um, but then looking at the ships. It looks a little bit more like the J.J. Abrams. Yeah, it looks uh, more 2009. Yeah, exactly. It looks Especially like a, with the, the blue glowing. Exactly. Blue glowing things, including the dish, the deflector uh-huh. dish, which is definitely not the way it was in the Enterprise that they depicted in um, in Discovery. Right. Um, and the nacelles are closer together. They're not spread out as far. So that looks a lot to me like uh, Calvin Universe 1. And that should not be because that ship isn't here yet. Or ever. Uh, oh, yeah. But later on, when they show the Enterprise at the very end, I'm, I think that's a little bit closer to the ship. I, I think it's a little closer to the, uh, to the second one. The second one. Well, okay. You know, I think it's a little closer. It's closer to the one they have in Discovery. Of the Enterprise. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't show the nacelles if it has that weird space in in the middle of the nacelle, but no, yeah, in the pylons, right? They don't show right. that. But look at it the 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 the, the nacelles are further apart, and the pylon is straight, ramrod straight, and that's not the way it was at the beginning of the issue, right? Right. Nope, you're right. And it's not all glowy, you know, light blue glowy on the dish. So that, again, looks a little bit more like the one they had in Discovery. So, anyway. Right. A little inconsistent. Looks cool, though, any way you look at it. But Well, those other ones weren't the Enterprise, so we'll give them credit that uh, that maybe not all Constitution class looks exactly the same. So, in other words, what you're saying is... <laughs> they have both the J.J. Abrams version, which is supposed to be 10 years in the future, because we saw it being constructed in the 2009 movie. And oh, they've right. got and the, and they've got the uh, one which is more appropriate for this timeline uh, that we saw in um, in Discovery. Yeah. So in the Kelvin universe, what happened to April's Enterprise? Does that ever say? I, I know that there was a comic book where he was in it and yes. he took. Mm-hmm. He was able to take over Pike's Enterprise because some worm he put in the original Enterprise computers somehow made it to the new Enterprise's computers, and he was able to take advantage of it, which made no sense. It didn't make any sense. But, yeah, there – so basically there – Pike's Enterprise was not the first Enterprise. Uh, Right. uh, There was one before in the JJ first, at least according to the comics. Well, yeah, and we know that's 100% canon. <laughs> I don't know about that. But... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. no, it's, uh, I didn't really care for that in the book. Yes. But, uh, but anyways, it was, but yes, you made a very good point about how these ships do not all look the same. Mm-hmm. It's like they had a budget and they could make, uh, slight uh, variations of the same ship. Yeah. But why do they have to make one of them 
almost pretty much equal to the 2009 movie version. Right. And why have the ISS Constellation on, um, or the Constitution on the cover of of the the issue? And it looks like the, you know, the Cage Enterprise. It's all red bulbs coming out of the nacelles and all that stuff. I mean, it's very retro. So, mm-hmm. and the Constellation's not even in this issue. It was destroyed in, in issue number three. So. Uh, I don't. I don't understand why they put that one in this in this on this cover. I don't know. It should have been the Enterprise because the Enterprise is actually in this one. Indeed. And then the uh, and then the other cover, the other cover uh, features uh, the Shinzo, which I gotta say, the Shinzo looks pretty cool from be- from beneath. You know, a, 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 an undershot, mm-hmm. and it looks you know, like that delta shape and. The nacelles look pretty cool, sticking straight out, and I just think it looks like a looks pretty cool on that cover, that that first right. cover. Well, they also have the uh, constellation or the discovery in on on the cover, and it's not even in this book. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> the whole series in this whole universe, there's no discovery. Yeah, there you go. So there you go. I hate to say it, but it wasn't until we were doing these issues that I realized that the uh, the Registration for the discovery is Halloween. <laughs> NCC one zero three one. So oh, now I'll never forget it now because I'm like, oh, I never, I never thought, I never thought about that. It's kind of funny, right? That is funny. You know, another thing that's funny. Did we talk? I think we talked about this before, so I'll get off of it right away because I think I'd be repeating myself. But the registry numbers are all over the map with these new discovery ships. Oh yeah. And they're not necess- they don't necessarily make sense. Yeah, because what's the Shinzo? It's well, it's it's, it's a higher number yeah, than it's Discovery. 12, 1227. Right. So is Discovery that old a ship? That they well, retrofit the, with the spore the, drive or something? Well yeah. I mean the, the Shinzo is supposed to be an old ship. Right. It had, you know, lateral transporter sensors or whatever. And, but Discovery doesn't, yet right. it's got a lower registry number, which is supposed to be an older ship, right? Yep. I don't know. Whatever. Yep. Doesn't make sense. A little close. Uh, I'm confused. But didn't the uh, – what was like the – oh, man, I forgot the name of the ship. What's the name of the ship in uh, Discovery? Uh, not Discovery. Um, in the Darkness? No. Oh, What's the last movie? Boldly Go? Boldly nope. Go, right. Was that the what last movie? Boldly Go? Bold, uh, in the, uh, bo- Beyond. Beyond. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Beyond was, was the last one. What was the old ship that they found? Oh, that was the Franklin. Franklin, yeah. yeah and Franklin. it had a weird registry, too. It was like, it was really high for, for where oh, was it was it? supposed to be. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know how they come up with the registries. Yeah. Maybe they don't do it in sequential order. Maybe the same guy in charge of star dates is in charge of uh, <laughs> registry numbers. Right. Well, they just got a randomizer and they just... <laughs> loop, 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 loop. Exactly. Then it just pops out four letters, exactly. four numbers. There you go. Uh, so, anyways, we are all over the place. Yes, uh, we are. I do like how they drew the the hologram projectors. thought that looked pretty cool. What right. you mean, like like Burnham when she was being yeah projected? when she's being hologrammed. I, yeah, I thought that does look pretty good. Art wise, art wise, I thought that was a cool effect. Yeah, 
Yeah, that does look good. Right. Um, and, and then I just thought the it was very gruesome when everybody was bleeding and oh, having uh, their 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 throat slit. No, no, the 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 oh at the end, whatever, at the end, it was just like wow, I can't believe they're putting this in a in a kids book. They look like zombies almost. Yeah, yeah, people are really messed up. And what what's Burnham's great last words? Um. <laughs> okay, there there you go. That's her. Oh no, I'm sorry. You. That's her last word. Oh no no. There's another one. N- no. N- no. Okay, there you go. That's the last one. <laughs> okay, finally. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of gross. Right. So the one thing I didn't like about this issue is it was kind of the whole bait and switch throughout the whole thing, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, oh, Michael's turning on you. Oh, Aaron turned on you. It's really just whoever was the last person to play their card. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. But it kind of seemed like the same card. It was like, nope, I'm going to stab you in the back. Nope, shouldn't yeah. stab. Yeah, you shouldn't re- have gone first because now re- I'm going to stab you in the back. It reminded me of a Game of Thrones season. Mm. Or something. All condensed into one issue. Exactly. Everybody's just yep. screwing each other over, basically. Yep. But it was a good end to the four-parter, and uh, oh, I definitely was. would would read more of Discovery if they if they would produce it. <laughs> uh, more more of the yeah in the mirror more, universe. More, you mean more, well any any Discovery, but yeah the mirror universe too. I've yeah. al- I've always been fond of the mirror universe stuff. Yeah yeah yeah. Although like, it seems weird that we have so much of it now. Exactly exactly right. With the whole Barkley thing going on for several several series is. Mm-hmm. So, which I think we have a whole another series to do of that that we haven't even done yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to that. I, yeah. You know, it, it's kind of. I hope we didn't say this before, but I think it's kind of cool that they're jumping around instead of having a monthly thing. Uh, although I would I would like to have Boulder go still around. It's right. still kind of cool that they're just doing these um, limited runs that are just jumping around. It's kind of like a. a a long form version of waypoints. Oh, but right. In, <laughs> but instead of having like two or three stories in one issue, they take one little nuanced story and then they explore it for four issues. That's kind of cool. Like yeah. That. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. As long as they eventually do an enterprise one. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I think they should definitely have one like that. Um, I wanted to make one more comment about the artwork mm-hmm. when um, after everybody's like after Cornwell's dead and all that kind of stuff and, and Michael's in charge and um, Laurel and the other Klingon are walking out of like the palace or whatever and they're talking right. about their options and stuff um, that looks a lot the, the two uh, scenes looks a lot like the Palace of Fine Arts in San Francisco Oh, it probably is. Yeah. They're supposed so. to be in San Francisco. Exactly. Okay, that makes even more sense. I really didn't even think about that. So it seemed like it was... So they mu- Yeah, it seemed like they... Um, I thought they just drew inspiration for it. But yeah, maybe they like rebuilt parts of it and stuff. But uh, definitely... Why? It never because, got destroyed. Well, but... Well, maybe during World War Three. 
Well, okay. So the the part that the second picture, except with the water there, I mean, yeah. that looks like it does now, pretty much. But that other building on top, um, that looks a lot. That looks in a lot better shape than what it looks like now. And it looks like they were um, walking out of the palace right. or something like that, right? Right. Right. And there and there's nothing behind that. So. Uh, today, that is. It just stands there alone. And then there's that other part that's on the bottom with the, with the kind of like walled columns and no ceiling. Sure. Anyway, I just yeah, I thought that's... that was cool because I, I lived in the area for a while and that was a cool place to go. Well, that's awesome because I, I didn't I had no idea. I just assumed it was Star Trek stuff. <sighs> well, very cool that you actually knew where it was. Well, uh, yeah. Well, I, I I recognized it. Cool. Yeah. So uh, I think that's really all I have to say about this one. Yeah, that's it. All right. Cool. Uh, I'm done. I'm done as well. So let's move on to uh, the actual. It's not the prime universe. I don't know. Maybe it is the prime universe. But anyways, the non-mirror universe universe. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think it's the it's the Prime Discovery Universe anyway, right? All right, we'll call it that. The Prime, Prime Discovery, Discovery Universe. Universe. Yeah, so uh, I get to do this one, and this is the annual for uh, 2018. And it is um, focusing on a little corner of Discovery's history that tells us how uh, Stamets came into Starfleet, and uh, he and his his research partner... Um, which is not his romantic partner, his research partner uh, came up with the whole spore drive thing. And I, I thought it was cool seeing how all that happened, getting that backstory. But yeah, it's not, it doesn't have as much, uh, it's not an adventure story. So anyway, so this one has a published date of March, 2018. The writer is Christian Bayer and Mike Johnson. Art by Angel Hernandez. He's getting a lot of work. Colors, Mark Roberts. Letterer and World Designs. Production Design, Neil Yataki. Edits by Sarah Gados. Editorial Assists by Chase Marotz. Publisher, Greg Goldstein. Okay, we got two covers. Cover A features Lieutenant Stamets' head and shoulders in the center with the upper torso of Dr. Hugh Culber to the left and Cadet Tilly to the right. Discovery is at the bottom of the cover, and Angel did this one, too. He did the artwork and stuff. Cover B also features uh, Stamets's head and shoulders, but uh, to the upper right corner, giving up the cover center to Discovery herself. Tilly and Dr. Culver and Captain Lorca are in the lower left, arranged along the edge of a centered circle. Uh, outside of the centered circle is another circle that depicts the orbit of two heavenly bodies that are likely two planets or maybe a planet and a really big moon. Who knows? And that covers by George Kaltsodas. The oddly shaped USS Somerville, NCC 1322, suddenly finds itself hammered by space rocks that go from moving predictably in the void of space to spitting rapidly and moving aggressively. 
The captain moves the ship to a safe distance and orders her away team that was collecting samples off of a large asteroid to prepare to beam back. Strange magnetics from the asteroid makes the transporter lock tricky, but finally the transport begins just as a huge rock smashes into the place the team was standing. Three dead bodies in shattered spacesuits arrive on the Somerville, but somehow their samples are intact. The captain orders Warp 4 from the deadly asteroid field. Months later on planet Deneva, Dr. Stamets is standing in a large domed building that houses an eclectic variety of plants, including many varieties of mushrooms. Stamets is fussing over some of his favorite mushrooms when he receives word from Dr. Strahl that he wants to see him right away. On the walk to meet Strahl, we find out that Stamets may have a science groupie from Earth who is a budding mycologist and continued to try to contact him. Also, a new specimen called Stella has arrived, and Strahl is likely working with it without Stamets. When Stamets arrives, he checks out the Prototaxites stellavatori, also known as Stella. It's a fast-growing fungus specimen that is only found on S-type asteroids and is being studied for the first time anywhere by them. Dr. Strahl reminds Stamets their work is supposed to focus on terraforming applications, but apparently Stamets has broader interests with Stella. Strahl reminds Stamets about the Cassilian opera tickets he and his wife invited Stamets to see tonight. In response, Stamets asks him to enjoy the opera as the good doctor makes it clear he has a date tonight with a flashy number named Stella. That night, Stamets marvels at the astonishing complexity in Stella's DNA, and in a flash of inspiration sees star paths? Strahl and his wife discuss work at the opera, and we discover, A, she too is a researcher that is committed to terraforming applications of Strahl and Stamets' work. B, she will be going to planet Draxus in a few months to attempt terraforming with or without her husband. So he'd better get Stamets to focus on the terraforming applications of Stella, not some pie-in-the-sky applications. The next morning, sleep-deprived Stamets tells Strahl of the star paths he sees in Stella's DNA, and the wild hypothesis that the fungus is able to create them. Stamets demonstrates that two physically separate samples of Stella can communicate to each other with no physical root connection. Action at a distance. Strahl dismisses the invisible connection between the two samples by comparing it to a communicator. But Stamets excitedly counters by pointing out the protein markers he introduced in the one sample appear in the other samples immediately. That makes it much more like a transporter. Convinced, Strahl lists off their next steps. Replicate the results formulate a working hypothesis, present the hypothesis for peer review. Two years later, at the Federation Research Council building on Alpha Centauri, Stamets and Strahl present their work to a packed crowd. They explain how the rootless fungal network of Prototaxites stellavatori 
Stellavatori, that works at a quantum level could offer a means of transporting matter to perhaps limitless distances instantaneously. Multiple experienced scientists stand and raise their skepticism. A physicist scoffs at the idea that biology would offer a way to break all the rules of physics. Another says they are making ridiculous assumptions about quantum variation. Stamets is starting to get angry, but a cool-headed Strahl steps forward and thanks the audience for their time and says they will be happy to answer questions during the reception. Later, towards the end of the reception, a morose Stamets is seated and drinking a light green liquid. Strahl tells Stamets, mycologists are never the rock stars, and leaves to meet his wife. Left alone with his troubles, Stamets becomes annoyed by a handsome young man with good posture who is humming Cassilian opera. It gives Stamets an opening to be a jerk, and he takes it. The brief conversation ends with the opera singer testily saying he likes his lectures better than his manners as he departs the room. The pleasantly buzzed mycologist orders another one from the barkeep and says he likes the opera singer. On the way out of the reception, Dr. Strahl is accosted by an Andorian Starfleet officer named Zeb Rebholtz, who says he sees great potential value in their organic entanglement theories and makes a pitch for them to join Starfleet. He says, if approved, the funding for their scientific work could be significant and they would be left alone to pursue it. Strahl joins his wife in a fancy restaurant, and she makes the pitch for he and Stamets to join her terraforming team again. Later, in a star-based departure area, awaiting a shuttle for Denova, Stamets is humming opera. The handsome young opera singer from the reception calls Stamets a hypocrite. A somewhat terse conversation continues. Stamets comments on the opera singer's Starfleet uniform. When Stamets finds out the opera singer is not going to Deneva, he asks him how he could contact him in the future so they could continue their conversation. The opera singer smiles and says he looks forward to it. Back on Deneva, Strahl tells Stamets about the Starfleet possibilities to which Stamets flatly rejects. He goes to the hothouse where their Stella samples have grown into a full-fledged crop. On an impulse, he tastes the Stella and passes out for hours. Strahl wakes him up with several stims, and later in their lab, Stamets calls up the handsome opera singer who reports that Stamets's test came back fine. No long-term effects from eating his work. The opera singer is a Starfleet medical officer. They keep the long-distance comm channel open and enjoy a night of conversing. Three months later, Stamets and Strahl successfully transport a frog from their lab on Deneva to another lab on Beta Saurus. Matter can traverse the mycelial network. Six months later, they are on the brink of trying their first human traveler on the network. Strahl and Stamets get into the big fight over whether they are ready for this and from a safety standpoint. The argument traverses into Stamets saying Strahl wants to be with his wife, so he is hoping their work won't be successful. 
Later that night, Stamets is doing a video call with the opera singer when he is called to the primary lab for an emergency. One of the lab assistants tried to teleport themselves. He is dead in a most unpleasant-looking way. Stamets uses data out of the failed transportation attempt to make adjustments, and the second try succeeds with Stamets as the guinea pig. He waves hi to Strahl from the lab at Beta Darius. In a much more successful second presentation to the Federation Research Council, the Andorian Starfleet officer makes a second pitch to Stamets and Strahl. Stamets assumes they want to weaponize it, but Zev Rebholtz says they are thinking ship propulsion. After plenty of resistance from Stamets, they finally take the Starfleet offer of two ships with full labs on board, one for each of them to carry out their experiments on a practical spore drive. Sometime later, Stamets comes aboard his ship, Discovery, in his blue and silver lieutenant's uniform. He goes straight to the captain. What was his name? Lorca? They do not warm up to each other much, but Stamets stands his ground when it comes to at least one staffing request. He needs that Starfleet cadet, who is already well-versed on his mycelial work. Stamets finds out the opera singer transferred to Discovery, and his name is Dr. Hugh Culber. They can finally talk to each other in the same room again. One month later, Stamets finally meets the groupie that has been admiring his work from afar for so long, Cadet Sylvia Tilly. He is stone-faced and no nonsense towards her, but she is nothing but beaming with exuberance at the opportunity of working with the great Dr. Paul Stamets. With a satisfied look on his face, the future begins. Yeah, so how far... Into the past is this versus um, the beginning or the second episode of Discovery. So, because I I was kind of expecting uh, when Stamets came on, it would be the original Lorca, not not already the uh, mirror Lorca. But but here it's implied that it's the mirror Lorca already because he has the eye condition or whatever. Exactly. Right. Yeah, he's photosensitive. Yeah, I mean, well, we, we know there's a time jump between the second episode and the third episode. How many months is it? I forgot exactly. Uh, the war has begun. Right. Um, and long enough for everybody to be reassigned to pretty high positions aboard the Discovery, right? So. Right. Because uh, Saru and the uh, the one girl that had to have some of her face cybernetically changed and right. things like that. Right, um, right. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, a good chunk of time... So was Lorca the the fake Lorca already on Discovery, even back before the the Battle of the Binary Star? Or I think so. So yeah, so that's that was kind of a surprise to me because I kind of got the feeling that they worked with the original Lorca for a bit before he switched over. Oh, well, yeah, maybe, but I I didn't have any indication of that one way or the other. Well, because when they went to the Mirror Universe, they said that Lorca had. They kind of implied that he had just died somewhat recently. So, I mean, it wasn't like, oh, we thought you were dead years ago and you suddenly show back up. So, uh, I mean, I I got the impression that it wasn't a whole lot of time that they thought 
both Burnham and Lorca was was dead in the mirror universe. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, definitely when Lorca had that experience, um, that was nothing to do with the Battle of the Binary Stars, right? That was something that happened what way in a different time period. Well, the experience that, that switched him with um, right, right, with his counterpart. Evil right. and, I did, and good I did, ones. Yeah, when, when did it happen, right? So did it happen <sighs> before the Battle of the Binary Stars? Because if so, then that means that in the Mirror Universe, Lorca had been dead for years. But when he shows up, they didn't act like it was too in terribly the, long ago. In the comic book. Well, in the episode, too. Or, okay, okay. I mean, did they, I mean I, I'd have to go back and rewatch, but I didn't get the feeling that he'd been gone years. When he shows back up and hatches his plan to have Burnham pretend to be fake Burnham and all that stuff. Right. Well, so, yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, it seemed like he had been um, – he had made his play against the Empress and he had been on the run hatching his plans, uh, you know, as a rebel or something for some period of time. Right. But exactly how long all that went on, I, I don't know. You know what? I could figure it out because in the <laughs> okay. at the beginning of uh, the the issues that we just finished in the first episode in the first issue, yeah. it has Mirror Burnham and Mirror Lorca naked together, uh-huh. and then it says X amount of time, and then it was supposed to be after the events of Star Trek Discovery, so. Uh, maybe we could figure it out right here, right now. Right here, right now? Yeah, so let's see. Uh, it says Mirror Universe, and then it says one year later. So I guess, so from the time that uh, Lorca and Burnham, Mirror Lorca and Burnham were naked together, uh, a year had passed, and, and in that year, Lorca came over to our universe and took over the discovery discovery okay so does that fit with the timeline of this book i mean was stimmons and stamets were they on on the ship less than a year before the episode we saw i don't know yeah i don't know i mean before the, the third episode right Right. When we first are introduced to Discovery and and the crew, right? I, exactly. I don't know. I mean, it seemed like they had been working on it for some amount of time, and they didn't say anything about Lorca being the new captain or something. And this is actually showing him being the captain when Stamets came on board. So right. So that's saying that this this scene and this issue uh-huh. had to have happened less than twelve months before Episode Three of Star Trek Discovery. They did a lot in a year. Right. And I mean, the war started, what, six months before the third episode. So that means mm-hmm. that within a year, Stimmets came on. They had they, the war started, and then Burnham came on, and they they, they and did they finally, right. Yeah. Just and they got the spore drive to work. Busy year. Busy year. A busy year. Yeah, so so it only... he, did, he, he succeeded in less than a year. Yes. Pretty impressive. Yes. Yeah. And his partner got toasted. Got killed. Yes. 
the whole the whole ship killed. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. Hmm. All right, cool. All right, just just uh, just trying to work out the the date. Work out the timeline because I didn't like that it was already the mirror Burno or the mirror Lorca when uh, what's his name Stimmitz or showed up. Yeah. Well, you know, I bet somebody out there maybe has put together a timeline. Well, you would hope so. You would hope so. So, so anyways, um, all right, sorry, I'll get off my soapbox. No, that's, that's fine. Or at least my, uh, my trying to figure things out. So what do you think about the, the artwork? I think it looks just like the actor, um, all the actors. I think they did a good job. I think job. they did a very good job. Yeah. I think Stamets looks pretty good. I mean, not in everyone, but in most of them, very good. Uh, Dr. Culver, or Culber, mm-hmm. looks good. Um, and I kind of like uh, some of the other things. I mean, I think this um, this starship at the very beginning, uh, the Somerville, I think it's a fascinating and weird design. I mean, it looks like a big horseshoe. And then, uh, you know, a saucer section in the middle of the horseshoe. And then uh, some more, you know, ship across the opening. Right. Uh, I, I did like that. And it also had the um, the opening in the middle like the Discovery does. Right. So, like, in the saucer section, there's some open right. open space in between there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why they did that, by the way. I mean, why would you do that? I mean, it seems like waste of space to me. But, eh, whatever. Well, I mean, so that if there was a, a need to do a saucer separation, they could just uh, blow those those little those three those little things, things that are kind of connecting three connectors. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, maybe. Yeah. That'd be a reason, I guess. <laughs> but uh, creative. I, I I like. You know, I, I'm not I'm not crazy about a lot of the Klingon ships in Discovery, but they have a lot of creative ship designs. I like them. Right. Even though this one looks really weird. And not overly practical, but at least it's new and different. Right. And you saw the registry on that one is 1322. So exactly, 1322. Three, 300 ships later after Discovery, if, if they go in sequential order. If they go in sequential order. And you'll notice that in the transporter room, they've got the same lateral transporter scanner thingies as uh, Shenzo. Hmm. So where you see all the shattered, which by the way looks very cool. So the shot in the uh, in the transporter room where the the three away team uh, dead three away team members are there with the shattered um, spacesuits and stuff, lateral transporter sensor thingies. You know, I never noticed that in the in the show. Oh well, they yeah okay. So I'll I'll try to pay attention when I rewatch it. Yeah. Yeah, there's a there's one episode where they even comment on it. Uh, mm. I think that's the one where uh, Michael first comes aboard the ship, basically saying, "Hey, kind of uh, old ship you got here." It's like, "Oh, thank you very much, Giorgio." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, I'll rewatch it. <laughs> yeah. Now, when I was reading this um, recently, CBS released a little joke of uh, a musical number mm-hmm. of, of uh, with the Discovery crew singing you pointed at to me um, yeah. rent a rent song mm-hmm. but replacing and it's been bothering me because they still say 
525,600 minutes, mm-hmm. which is the number of minutes in a year. But then they replace minutes with Star Trek or episodes or spinoffs or something like that. That and, and I have really been trying to figure out if that could really mean something or if it was just they took the number from the song and then switched out the other words, which yeah, then I makes just... it seem really lazy. Yeah, and they're just like, well, you know, if you count all the shows and all the comic books and all the novels <laughs> and uh, 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 comic strips from England, <laughs> and you know, you maybe you could get the five thousand, but yeah, at first it's like no, five five hundred thousand. Oh, five hundred thousand? That's yeah. what they said. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know how they got that. So then I was thinking, well, well, maybe you know, I I took all the episodes. All, every minute. Oh, you, you, you did the, I, oh, that's right. You did the math. I, I did the math. I was like, how close to 500,000 minutes is there um, if you take every minute of every Star Trek episode or movie? And, and it's nowhere near close. <laughs> so so, so, oh, 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 so oh, they literally so just took the opening. Counting? They took the number from the song and then changed all the other words to be Star Trek related. So oh. it really <clears> seems <throat> lazy. Okay, so... They're saying the number of minutes in Star Trek shows. Well, that's what, what the song's about. The The Rent song okay. is about how many minutes in a year. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got that. You said that. So, but then they don't ever, in the song, the Star Trek one, they say the number, which is the same number from the Rent song, and then they just replace minutes with Star Trek or spinoffs or uh, whatever, right? You know, they just use different Star Trek type words to... Mm-hmm. After they say the number. Okay. But then I was like, well, that must mean something. Why else okay, would so, they do it? Okay, so when you did the math, did you actually yeah. say, ooh, uh, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, that was an hour and 50 minutes. Okay, I, hour and 50 minutes. And what then I you, did, you go to... I took, I averaged it. Because and then, I, did, and then, I was nowhere near the ballpark. So okay. if, and then, if and I then was if you close, would've... I would have done it. But, okay. but no, it was... It was it wasn't even a hundred thousand, and I, but what I did is I averaged every Star Trek movie to be, I think, an hour and a half, and every episode to be forty-five minutes, and every uh, and then the animated series to be twenty twenty minutes. So that is what I used as kind of my basis. So uh-huh. I took all every episode for every series, multiplied it by the appropriate number of time, and added it up, and it, it was nowhere near five hundred twenty-five thousand. Well, I could only assume that you did not factor in Star Trek The Motion Picture, because that movie took forever. <laughs> I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not how much time it, it seems like. like. It's how much time it really is. Oh, okay. Good point. But the only reason, the reason why I bring it up is because yeah. the actor who plays Stimmets is the actor who originated the role uh, of the main guy in Rent and was in the movie Rent uh, as the main oh, character. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so... Which is another reason why it's kind of a kick in the face that the number doesn't mean anything in in the Star Trek parody of it because you would think that he would want it to mean something because you know he was the originator. I mean, he didn't write the write the play, but he was the first actor to play it on Broadway. He was the the actor they brought on to play it in the movie. Mm-hmm. So it's like it has to mean something to him, right? But. But no, he's just singing the same number that was in the in the movie, but then replacing yeah, some Star Trek with, with some sort of Star Trek reference. vague reference. Huh. So anyway, so the whole time I'm reading this book, I keep seeing that 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 little musical thing and him singing. 
I mean, he he can sing well. He out of out of everybody that sings in that video, he's obviously <laughs> he's the trained he's, musician. He's the trained one. <laughs> exactly right. But uh, but anyways, I just thought it was I just thought it was weird that they released that and that uh, the and who he is, you know, what his background was. And then you didn't even catch it. You didn't even know that Rent had a song. I didn't even know what Rent was. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> I, I've never heard of it. Uh, okay, so it was a play, and then they made a movie out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it was a very popular play. Uh huh. Yeah. All about you know, uh, squatters and and uh, and AIDS and and teen angst. Oh, okay. And people that basically rent. Well, that, that's just it. He's like this. He plays like this rich guy that doesn't want to pay rent because he doesn't feel like he has to. And, and basically, they're squatting in this this building and he's a rich guy uh, he yeah his, it, it's implied that his parents are very well off but he doesn't want oh. to take their money and uh instead he just squats in this uh <sighs> in this abandoned building or something like that oh, along with these other people that that you know have all these other horrible problems right in the movie i don't know i'm not the right i wasn't the audience for it but in right. the movie i was just like i don't get his character all the other people i kind of understand what they're right. going through you know they're having life issues and Right. Are making the best out of it, but he just seems like ah, I could leave if I want to, but I'm just here singing a song because I don't want to pay rent. <laughs> <laughs> seems like very shallow motivations. Yeah, uh, maybe I need to rewatch it, but uh, but yeah, that was what I that was what I walked out with. Right, which I'm sure is not what they were going for. Probably not. It, like I said, it's a very popular thing. Right. But anyways, I just kind of like it that he's now he's now a Star Trek guy. Yes. And then uh, his boyfriend was. Uh, do you remember uh, my so-called life with uh, Claire Danes way back when? Uh, I can't remember the name. Was it a yeah. movie? Was it a TV show? What was it? It was a TV show. Ran one season. Um, it was what twenty years ago or so. Back oh, when it was taboo taboo for you know to depict gay people on TV kind of thing. Oh, and, and, okay. Uh, he was. Uh, a high school kid that was coming out as being gay. You know, that oh. was kind of the, the one of the main storylines. Oh. It was a great show. I really liked it when it was on. Um, so, again, it was kind of cool to see him as as an adult now acting mm-hmm. acting in one of my favorite franchises. So, cool. It's kind of cool. So, okay. both of these guys have been acting since they were kids. Right. Uh, these two actors. Right. So, anyways, enough of that. Cool. Enough IMDBing. Let's get on to this issue. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, I, I I don't know. I like this issue as in that it filled in some backstory, but mm-hmm. I don't really have a ton to talk about. The uh, transporter thing kind of reminded me of uh, Star Trek: The Motion Picture when when Vox or whatever got beamed over inside out. Yeah, yeah, that so was kinda, fun, wasn't it? <laughs> I kind of felt that way about this guy. That's like. Uh, took it upon himself to beam himself and yeah. didn't quite make it. And the two booths they're using for transportation reminded me of the fly. The fly, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And uh, so the lab was on Deneva. Which is where they were going to terraform? Well, or... well no, that uh, the lab they were working at where they had all their uh, their life forms and st- or their, their plants and stuff in the greenhouse. They were doing their research at first. 
it was so on Deneva. Deneva. Deneva is used was used somewhere else. Uh, well, in the original series, mm-hmm. you remember um, the one where uh, Kirk's brother died. Oh, that it was uh, the colony was the Deneva, Deneva colony. That's right. With with the the sun leeches or whatever they were. Yeah, whatever those. They, they were pieces of plastic, basically, or rubber. <laughs> they they were like boogers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> red boogers that were like on strings that were like somehow jumping onto people. Uh, right. o- Operation Annihilate was the episode. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Huh. So, um, so, so this is that lab. Well, I, I thought that, I thought that by the, by the time George Kirk, George Kirk, I think, uh, mm-hmm. the brother died on that colony. I thought that colony was, wasn't that, I mean, I thought it was more like a pioneering colony, so right. it wasn't that mature. But this says ten years before that, they had, um, you know, they they, they had uh, labs and stuff going. I mean, that seems a little inconsistent to me, but eh. right, labs and spore collections. Uh, right. I mean, if you have. I mean, if you have large lab facilities, that sounds like you probably have some infrastructure around you, as opposed to it being, uh, you know, an up-and-coming, fresh new uh, right. colony, which is what I got the impression of from the original Taws episode. But right, no, nope, you're right. And then the establishing shots do show it look looks pretty built out with at least a dozen or so fairly large buildings. Right. Yeah, they're all all donut sh- all all tire shaped. With a couple of domes. Right, right. Yeah. I thought that was odd. Um, it was a good catch, though. I, I, it kind of sounded familiar, but I didn't right. really give it much thought. Yeah, did you uh, like the fuzzy frog or the furry frog that yeah. was transported? I thought he looked pretty cool. I thought he was cute. I was yeah. glad to see him make it. Right. Now, if you're going to be an amphibian, why would you need fur? Uh, it's moss. So is that, that moss? Bl- so he can blend in. Or no, it's supposed to look like moss. So okay. that he can blend into the moss. Oh, okay. It all makes sense. Uh, in that okay. planet, it's very mossy. Okay. I mean, it looks like fur, but yeah, maybe mossy fur. But anyway, I thought it looked cool. I'm just trying to think of <laughs> what kind of... Um, how how did he develop? Right. Well, that's uh, what with, I'm with those with. kind of characteristics. But I guess how you just explained it makes him look makes him blend in more. There you go. Right, exactly. Because if he looked like a frog, then he would have just gotten eaten. Exactly. And now he can blend into the moss. Exactly. Hmm. Hmm. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. And uh, I think I had another comment about the artwork. Uh, my comment about the artwork oh, yeah. was that the little shuttle that they that he took to Starfleet mm-hmm. looks like the exact same shuttle that uh, that's in the JJ Universe shuttle exactly. that takes 2009 Kirk. movie. Yeah, yeah. It's like they use the same shuttle in both in both shows. Yeah. I mean, is that is that on purpose? I mean, yeah, well, I mean, are they trying to tie it into? Are they trying to make you think? Ooh, JJ verse, you know, Star Trek or something or right. what? No, I think they just like that we have to draw a bus in space. Mm-hmm. We already have this cool design bus in space. Let's let's, <laughs> let's just reuse it. Okay. Reuse that. Okay. Um another part of the artwork I thought was really nice was that sunrise scene after that guy was killed that tried to transport himself. 
and like Stamets has been up all night, and then he's seeing the sunrise, and he's talking to um, Culber mm-hmm. with the lens flares. Exactly. <laughs> with yes, there are some lens flares. Now that you mention it, <laughs> every ba- every panel has <laughs> lens flares. <yeah>. But <sighs> but I just think that looks so cool. I mean, oh, I yeah. think the, the the sun coming up over the horizon looks very cool, and the kind of lighting and everything in the room he's in looks really cool. I, mm-hmm. it's a good job, very good job. Yeah, and they're really showing off the what is it the uh, the Google portal thing that they got going now. Oh. He can walk <laughs> around all over the the room, and and uh, the guy can still watch him. Oh yeah, that's that's like that's like the Facebook one. That's kind of creepy. Well, yeah. What it's the uh, I forgot what well, the, the it's the new Google panel or something like that where it's well Google has a home hub, home hub, something like that. Um, but it's got no camera in it. Well, this is the this is the one that it looks like they have different sized ones. So they okay. got one that you just sets on your uh, desk, but the camera will actually follow you, so you can walk around the your apartment or room or whatever, and it'll follow you. And so that the person that's on the other side uh, still sees your face no matter where you're walking around to. That sounds like the Facebook one, but Mm. whatever. I don't think it's Facebook branded, but maybe. Okay. Um, But whatever that is, it's creepy. (laughs) Yes, that's creepy. (laughs) You want it to be able to watch you wherever you walk in a room? I don't think so, but whatever. That's why one of the things I, you know, they're re- remaking uh, Child's Play. Uh-huh. And oh, instead of instead yeah. of doing the dolls possessed by voodoo or right, whatever, right, like the right. original one, yeah. it's this doll is programmed to watch you and learn about you and become your best friend, you know, that's It's, that it's kind a of robot, thing. right? It's a little robot thing. Yeah, but I mean, but it's basically exactly where we're going. Let's let's have all of our appliances know our wants and desires. Uh-huh. Uh, so what's the next step? Well, now your now your doll can be your real best friend. Uh-huh. And then now it'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> we we we've got that murderous subroutine. We really shouldn't have put that in. <laughs> Wh- whose idea was that? Right, exactly. So I don't know if they're going to have some sort of voodoo slant in the in the new show, but uh if they don't, I'm okay with them taking a, a different take on it. Yeah. Well, y- if you did the exact same thing over and over again, that wouldn't be very entertaining, I don't think. It worked well this last year for Halloween. That was different. <laughs> I don't see how. Well, uh, that was basically remade, Lee, remade the movie, and then they're like, oh, yeah, this is great. Let's everybody go see it. That was not a remake. It wasn't a remake, but if it, you it watch was, it, there's it was nothing a, new in it. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is a grandmother. I saw that in uh, Star Trek or uh, Halloween Resurrection. It same, you know. Oh, I never, I never saw that. I thought you said it was a remake of Halloween. No, it's not a remake of Halloween. Halloween. But basically, they took the exact same formula they've already done ten other times. And oh, I never saw that one. Oh, you Halloween Resurrection is is that the name? Resurrection. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, it's the last one they did before um, Rod Zombie did his reboot of it. Okay. And was it's that horrible. the same thing it's too? It's one of the it's one of the worst ones. The Rob Zombie one. No, the oh. Resurrection. The oh, last the resurrection? one that Jamie Lee Curtis did. Oh, so let's redo that one then. But with <laughs> yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis being a grandmother. Right. Okay. As an old lady that can still kick ass because 
she's worried Michael Myers will come back. Right. Anyways, we are off subject. I don't okay, so, have anything else to talk about this one. So that resurrection thing, that was with Jamie Lee Curtis too? Mm-hmm, yeah. And and she was the grandmother. She wasn't a grandmother, but she was she was an older a mother. An older lady. She was mature. Yeah, she was a mom. Her mom, a mom. was a her mom. son was played by uh Josh Hartnett when he was a oh, young guy. Really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it really so it, she wasn't a grandmother, but she was a mother and she mm-hmm. was protecting her kids. Or whatever. Uh, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I mean it's it's a little different, but still it's basically the same thing. Okay. But what I'm saying is that it worked well for them. They didn't have to reinvent the wheel like uh, like it seems like they're doing for Chucky. Right. Well, but again, this is not a Chucky and Michael Myers review. So. No, it is not. <laughs> this is not a podcast for uh, killer dolls. Although that would be a cool one. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, a spinoff. Hmm. What else do you have for this issue? Not much. Um, I thought it was interesting how they were like hinting at Tilly since almost mm-hmm. the beginning of the issue. And then they, they finally show her at the end. Okay. Hey, Tilly. There she is. So that was, uh, I guess that was cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, you knew who they were talking about right off the bat. Sure. It's gotta be Tilly. Yeah. You notice that they're, they don't have the, the black insignia things that they do. You know, the, didn't they have some sort of special badges or something that, that showed that had the black bar in them or something like that? I think there were some people that had those. But I think those were section fifty, 50 section fifty seven, fifty one. Oh, so Tilly didn't have one. I don't. I don't think she did. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, then never mind then. Yeah, I, I, I noticed that she didn't have it in this one, and then I, I, I thought that she had it in the other one. Or does she get it later when she gets when she when they give her I, more responsibility? I mean, the first the first regular character that's carrying around one of those is um, the Empress. It, this season, when it when we find out that she's joined section thirty one, yeah, thirty one, section thirty one. But they had it in the first season, because because even Burnham kind of makes a comment by, about what, what's with the black bar behind the the logo, right? Or am I making that up? Um, I think there are other people on the ship, but not the main characters with that kind of badge. I think oh, okay. I'd have to go back and look at it again. But I thought that was like a Section 31 badge. Oh, in the I thought it was just like Discoveryville. secret, secret, uh, top secret. secret type thing. And that, because that ship was top secret because they have the spore drive. Right. Oh, well. Well, I mean, nobody's got the black bar in the normal that, series. I mean, in most episodes I've seen. Right. Okay. And they definitely don't have that in this up in this issue. As you point out. Yeah, and actually, I've got one of those. It's pretty cool from Quantum Mechanics. Ah, uh, is looks, that the one that nice. uh, what's his name, the Roddenberry son, is a part of? No. Okay. Um, he's got Roddenberry dot com. Oh, okay. And I think they might sell some of the Quantum Mechanics stuff, but uh, Quantum Mechanics Mechanics is its own company and web web e-tailer, and they've got their own stuff that they produce. And the, I think those were the first guys that had the really expensive and really cool ships that you could buy for like 
$2,000. That had the lights and stuff inside of them? All the lights. It was like they were they were studio filmable um, models, you know, because they were like – they were big. I mean, they were like did you get did you get one like three foot long kind of uh, things? Is that what's in your garage instead of a car? No, no. I uh, actually there was one point in time I actually ordered one and I canceled it because I was like, oh. this is too much, <laughs> too much. I can't do that. Where would you have put it? I I would have found a place. <laughs> Believe me, I would have found a place. No, I think kick, I think kick I, your sons out. You're like. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to sleep on the couch because your room is now the Enterprise room. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I, Eagle, Eagle Moss is more my speed. Right. But those are beautiful. Those are if, – if, if people have the, have the financial wherewithal to buy one, they look like a wonderful addition to your home. Right. Those, the, the big ones. I have seen them. Not, not in person, but I've seen pictures. Yeah. They look nice. Yeah, they look really great. Anyway. All right, so much. But, uh, yeah, but the quantum mechanics uh, badge Badges. with the black and stuff, I mean, they're they're much more reasonably priced. So <laughs> they work great. Cool. And they're cool because they got the – they make the new – they make the ones where they got the really strong magnets. So you have the uh, piece of metal that goes on the inside of your shirt, and then you put the badge on the outside of your shirt. But mm. unlike older versions of that, they – used to have that would barely stay on they've got those really strong magnets and it really stays on well so you shouldn't wear it if you have a pacemaker no <laughs> maybe not i don't know <laughs> i don't know all right so there you go um that that's all I have to say i like the issue it filled in a lot of uh background information for me which i would have thought you would have liked more but um I mean, I liked there it. It's just I didn't know if I needed an annual to fill it all in. It could have been done quicker, more expeditiously. Right. Yep. Well, and he could have had more singing. I mean, <laughs> got the actor. He sings a little bit, but come on. Exactly. But you just give can't have give him me more to work with there. Yeah. Yeah. You just can't have uh, Michael singing much. All right. All right. Well, if we're done with that, then next episode is episode three hundred. Three hundred. The 300th episode? That sounds like a special thing. Yeah, it's going to be special. Yeah. Special in that we're going to do... We're going to start the one series, the one publisher that we've never done before. No, we have not. And there's a lot of a lot of material to cover. Right. And that is the UK comic strips, which UK came out in a variety strips. of like little magazines and newspapers and things like that. So, uh, fortunately, IDW has... Uh, reprinted them all and uh we'll just start there right and we've done the american comic strips which was a delight um right and those were all like the um the motion picture era right whereas these are the original series era right sort of well for the most part <laughs> they, they okay I, I haven't read any of these I have not read any of them. The only thing I know about them is what you've described. Right. Which where sounds like... Where it's Captain Kurt for a while instead of Captain uh, Kirk. Ah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it'll be good. It's, uh, they're, they're interesting. Cool. Yeah. I have so, not read them all, so, and it's been many, many, many years since I've even looked at them. So right. right. It'll be interesting. Cool. Well, uh, come join us, everybody. 
for the 300th episode with material you may have never read before. Yep. Thank you, everybody, and talk to you next week. Later, everybody. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.